Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Mark Sisson, back on the hot seat. Usually we have a very tight agenda for our podcast. We did a great one covering the book Two Meals a Day. Go watch that video, listen to that show. And this time there's some uh, loose ends lying around. Usually we get to talking when we're sitting at lunch or uh, doing a workout or something. So I wanted to bring some of these uh, hot topics of the health and fitness scene, especially the breaking insights and ways that we're progressing our thinking and see what you think. Okay, let's do it. I mean, all I got is opinions. (laughs) And uh, the first one that comes to mind is this idea that the, uh, the story of insulin resistance, metabolic syndrome, is not quite as simple as what we've been talking about for so long, that you eat too many carbs, mm-hmm. you produce too much insulin, and you store fat. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's uh, easy for a lot of people to understand, and it was kind of the driving force behind our initial recommendation to cut carbs and in cutting carbs you get control of insulin and you get in control of insulin sort of all the other hormones fall into place leptin ghrelin glucagon all these other uh, contributory hormones fall into place if you can if you can get insulin under control and recently um new information new new research shows that the inclusion of these uh potentially harmful industrial seed oils in our diet uh, may be more insidious and causing more harm than we ever suspected, uh, especially in light of or, or in, in the uh, realm of uh, insulin resistance. So soybean oil, canola oil, corn oil, uh, these, these uh, highly processed oils that are high in uh, omega-6 fats that contain um, uh, damaged polyunsaturated fatty acids that can be incorporated into. They're, they're really not combusted as fuel the way other fats might be combusted. Uh, they're often incorporated in, into cells and may, you know, impact the way mitochondria function. So they may Im- impede mitochondrial function, which uh, in turn has an impact on insulin resistance. So the insulin resistance thing is still a critical uh, concern, and it's something that we want to address. Uh, and we want to include. Uh, the elimination of industrial seed oils in addition to the cutting back on sugars and processed grains and things like that. So you're consuming these seed oils and it interferes with healthy fat burning, Mm -hmm. burning of healthy uh, fat cells. Right. And if you can't burn fat and you try to go cut carbs and go keto and... and, You'll uh, be miserable. You... you, um, You'll you'll default over to simple a carbs on the dietary carbs. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Since you're not good at burning stored body fat. No, exactly. It's just uh, you know catch twenty two in the worst way. It's a it's a perfect storm of the insulin resistance locking the the fat in inside the fat cells and uh, the bloodstream lacking in its uh, uh, access to an energy substrate and then t- causing the brain to go seek out this uh, simple carbohydrate that it's become so reliant on. And there, therefore, we wind up consuming these, you know, super palatable, highly, mm. um, you know, uh, infused with sugar and, and, and processed carbs. Uh, and then, you know, we're, we start down this roller coaster of carb dependency that many of us never get off of. Uh, so the super palatable foods, the yep. hyper palatable foods, 
Um, Kate Shanahan's been doing a great job talking about this in association with the seed oils, Rob Wolf and Wired to Eat, uh, making these points that um, the overconsumption of this mm-hmm. is inevitable because these are foods that are never found in nature where you're putting fat right. and simple sugars together. Right. And it kind of hijacks the, the appetite, the reward center in the brain. Yeah. So the brain typically never really gets a sensation that it's time to stop eating. It just continuously stays hungry because the types of food that people are consuming, uh, because they're hyper palatable, because they're, they're, they're overly processed, uh, they don't have the same impact on the satiety systems mm-hmm. that would otherwise say, all right, you know, that's enough. I, I'm full. I feel great. I don't need to eat anymore. Um, which is what happens with, um, you know, uh, natural, real foods that we mm. promote so much in Primal Blueprint and Keto Reset and all the other the books that we've done. So yeah, the um, you know this this hijacking of the uh, of the satiety systems is a big thing for a lot of people. Uh, let's see, can we think of any examples of pairing fat and sugar together? Ice cream, yeah, pizza, um, uh, you know, chips, just about anything yeah, yeah, in a yeah. box wrapped, frozen, yeah. processed. Yeah. All the things we love, the hot fudge sundae. Yeah, and, and you know, the uh, early on in the days of uh, paleo and primal, when the message got out that, there were, that fat is not the enemy and fat is, you know, not the proximate cause of heart disease by itself and that, and that we, should, we would be uh, um, well served by eating more fat, I think people really liked hearing that. And so they ate more fat, but they didn't cut back on mm. the sugar. And, and so it doesn't even have to be in the form of, of uh, ice cream, um, you know, it can be is something as simple. It doesn't, in other words, it doesn't even have to be the two things in the same food. It could just be the two things in the same meal, mm. right? So you can have a, a high fat meal and then follow it up with, uh, a, you know, a lot of bread or processed carbohydrates yeah. that turns the glucose and you've, you pretty much accomplish the same thing that you would have right. with a bowl of ice cream, which is you've offset this wonderful tr- trend and tendency toward becoming a fat burning beast. And now you, you've, you've just, all you've done is, Increase your insulin and the tendency to store excess calories is fat. Uh, you're talking about an omelet with some orange juice or yeah. a bowl of oatmeal. And, exactly. Uh, seemingly good choices because right. they are nutritious or right. whatever we've been told. Um, but, boy, that's a challenge because um, you're kind of going uh, with a, a heavy rejection of carbs. Mm-hmm. And then Still, going into yeah. this keto scene and this thing that have, people have a lot of difficulty with. Uh, but interestingly, there's research that these extremely low-fat diets where you're just uh, consuming carbs and um, n- don't have any fat to store yeah, they because you're too. not eating any food, yeah. they actually work. They, they work, yeah. Uh, temporarily, I, I would argue. Sure, but I mean, the, the concept is the same. It, even though it's, it's a mostly carbohydrate diet and the calories are, are sort of uh, controlled for in some regard... The fact that you're not including a lot of fat or any fat in this case, um, you know, you, you, you've approached the issue of insulin sensitivity from, a, from the completely opposite spectrum. One is like a very high fat diet with low carbohydrate. The other is a high carbohydrate diet with low fat, but it's all natural food. It's real food in both cases. Um, and they can both work, but it's when you combine the two and try to get away with both that you really get into trouble. And I think a lot of people in the paleo community, a lot of people in the primal you know, ancestral health world, even in the keto community, um, you know, they'll spend a day or, or maybe a meal doing really well and then, and then have dessert or have something that would, mm. that would, um, you know, not just kick them out of keto, but have that, that impact of raising insulin and, and kind of 
derailing the the, the entire effort mm. of of improving metabolic flexibility through the manipulation of re- either removing the carbs in the case of a high fat diet or or sticking to a fairly strict high carb diet without the fat mm, like the uh, the, uh, the the cyclic ketogenic folks who go hardcore during the week yeah. and then go binge on the weekend. I think yeah. um, Jacob Wilson, the Florida guy, yeah. did some research and the people uh, were in keto, strict keto eating for five days, allowed to go off on the weekend and have their pizza and ice cream. And then they went back and it took them five days to get, to get back into yeah, ketosis yeah. to the point where they had their next yeah. pizza s- served up. Yeah. So it was a yeah. total disaster. Yeah. Oh, they oh, lost we... muscle mass and they yeah. gained fat. Yeah. Yeah. So again, you know, we, we have all this information, we have all this research and we can draw upon it and we can craft uh, a, a dietary, you know, uh, way of eating that suits us individually. But you have to really pay attention to the science mm. and make sure that when you do eliminate certain things from your diet or do agree to include other things, that you do it in a way that's, that's following the research and, and generating the sort of results that you're seeking. And, and as we said, not, not somehow, you know, grabbing the best of, of, Two different ways of eating, two combined, different books on your shelf, combining them in one, and then and then wondering why you don't get results. Yeah, I mean, it does help me uh, reconcile some of this confusion and controversy from the other side, where our buddy Rip Esselstyn, one of the leaders yeah. of the plant based movement, he's doing fantastic work. He motivates people to eat yeah. healthy, colorful foods of the earth, and you know, a devoted restriction of all kinds of fat, including that nasty olive oil, and just you know, a yeah. different approach, yeah. but. They have people who have lost weight, feel great, reverse heart disease with his father's work at Cleveland Clinic. Um, And I'm wondering, you know, if that works for you long term and you're just happy to eat your leaves and your beans and your rice. um, Some people are. Some people are. And uh, you don't don't come up with nutritional deficiencies or things that you're not getting from the animal kingdom. If you're really diligent about it, it's not guaranteed Mm. that you will have problems. Right. But you have to be diligent in these cases. You've got a covered full... uh, B12 and whatever else. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I think uh, relatedly, when we're trying to um, uh, think deeper about this uh, uh, theory of uh, metabolic dysfunction, uh, the research from Dr. Herman Ponser's new book called Burn, when Mm -hmm. he went out and studied the Hadza Mm -hmm. and came up with this uh, pretty uh, breakthrough uh, insight that humans have a ceiling on their daily caloric expenditure. Mm-hmm. And we find a way to uh, down-regulate caloric expenditure if we're a fitness freak burning so many calories in the gym. Well, we find a way when we're not working out to down-regulate the rest. So in other words, we're burning calories in the gym. And uh, as a result, if we have this uh, allowance, this daily allowance of calories, uh, then what the body does is, is it says, oh my God, you know, you work two hours in the gym and you, and you burn you know, 1,575 calories. So we're going to kind of downregulate how we burn calories throughout the rest of the day. So you'll notice uh, when we were, you know, when we were training, we would train hard and then we'd have to take a nap, right? And just do nothing for the rest of the day because that was the body's, you know, uh, it wasn't as if training hard, you know, gave you three or four or 5,000 calories worth of output for the day. And then you kept your same metabolic rate and, you know, you were, because how could you, how could you even, you know, maintain a body weight that way? So the body has this amazing reserve that just says, okay, if I spend all these calories here, I got to conserve all these calories there. And um, it's, it's really interesting science because then it gets into, you know, uh, what is it about people that then um, has them unable to lose weight? 
when they seemingly are on diets, right? Mm-hmm. How, how come they're not able to, to lose weight if the body is still burning the same number of calories right. throughout the day? Per my online calculation of my yeah. caloric burn. Right. Right. And, you know, it may be that um, any amount of exercise that you're trying to do and any amount of uh, sacrifice you're trying to make in the name of, uh, of, uh, of s- adhering to a restricted eating program works for a short period of time, but then the brain just gets kind of sidetracked and, and looks for those hyperpalatable foods, those mm. quick sources of, of cheap calories that get stored as um, either glycogen or body fat pretty quickly. And, um, you know, so there's a, uh, it, it, again, it speaks to, to the idea that we should always be eating real food as opposed to these packaged, crunchy, salty, fatty, sweet, hyperpalatable foods. Mm. Uh, and besides the adjusting of the, the calorie burning with a more relaxed day, we have that great graphic in two meals a day where, and we did the calculations to verify this. Yep. Uh, the Saturday was 100 mile bike ride, mm-hmm. uh, watching NFL all afternoon when you get back yep. and eating, uh, an extra pint of ice cream and two extra servings of pasta. And then Sunday was gardening, walking the dog around the block and having your regular meals. And it was a complete it was a complete wash. Right, like the 100 right. mile bike ride did nothing. Did nothing to, to offset. Contribute yeah, to yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Chris Kelly, Nourish Balance Thrive, made a great point on this matter when he said um, locomotion, reproduction, repair, and growth are a zero sum game. Mm-hmm. So if you borrow a lot from one, yeah, you're going to come pay. at the expense. So locomotion, let's say you and I training for five hours a day. Yeah. Um, we were, we were, uh, that's so uh, funny. There, there you are, uh, on the screen coming up right there running. That's pretty yeah. funny. I mean, uh, yeah. but thinking back, you know, my testosterone, yeah. uh, blood levels when I was an athlete in my twenties and yeah. my supposedly, uh, endocrine yeah. prime was were those of an old man. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And now I'm 55 and they're four to five times higher yeah. because I'm not borrowing so much on the locomotion side yeah. and then repair and, and all that, yeah. your immune function, all that stuff gets compromised. I mean, I'll go you one better. So you and I, uh, the last couple of days, I went for a hard paddle out in the ocean uh, two days ago and it took a lot out of me and I was kind of dragging ass the rest of the day. And then you and I did a hard ride on the sand uh, yesterday and uh, and it was like literally like we we did nothing today. And it was because we were, you know, the body was just like, I wasn't going to try and force myself to work out today because that's my body saying, look, I got to, I got to compensate for the hard work that we did the other day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh my gosh. It's, it's not into the brains of the human yet. And I think we're all in the back of our minds thinking we have to get out there and burn some energy to maintain fitness. Yeah, and there's the assumption that um, that you have to do it all the time, and that yeah. and there's the assumption that you can plow through it. So there, <laughs> so in the old days, you know, we would have gotten up today and said, "Geez, I'm beat up from the workout yesterday and the workout the day before, but let's go run 15 because that's on the plan." Yeah, right. Yeah. And and now I'm like, no, that's not. You know, I don't feel compelled to do that. I'm listening to my human body, my you know my my genetic recipe that wants me to be healthy, and it's telling me t- today's a day to take it easy. Yeah. And in, I guess, in a separate category is that obligation to just engage in general movement. Yeah. And you've always said it's not about the calories, yeah. it's about the movement, which means. Well, which means, uh, you know, we, st- we still moved around a lot today, but, you know, walking and means um, some easy stretching sometimes. It means uh, changing positions when you are mm-hmm. sitting. 
getting up every once in a while, walking around the room. Uh, it's, it, it's not a complex equation and it's mm-hmm. easy to do, um, to find ways to just move about. Um, and again, as, as long as people understand that it, that it isn't, uh, contemplated to have you burn calories. This is not about burning calories. It's just about moving through time and space yeah. and, and doing, you know, articulated movements that your body is designed to do. Uh, for an assortment of benefits that are, well, I mean, it's sort of related to uh, your body composition goals because you burn fat better right. when you get up and move. Yeah. Not because of the the, the, um, the numbers burn, yeah. involved, yeah. but just the efficiency versus wanting to snack all day because yeah. you've been sitting around uh, stuck in an office. And I think um, Katie Bowman makes a good distinction between cardiovascular fitness which we developed pedaling those bikes through the deep sand right, and right. cranking that heart so we could become a, a fitter bicycle rider. Right. But then there's cardiovascular health, which is the relative, you know, functioning of the cells throughout your body. And, um, mechanotransduction, I think is her term where, you know, are, are your cells healthy at exchanging oxygen and burning energy? And those are things that are separate from the one hour that you put in or, or if you're training two hours a day. That's still a small fraction of, yeah, of you know, time, the, yeah. the time of how you're using your body. Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, we, we're off, off camera. We're talking about the sort of the, the balance between six packs mm. and having a six pack low body fat body and longevity. And are they, you know, are, are they um, in parallel as you go through life or are they at sometimes in conflict? And I think quite often they're in conflict mm. uh, that the work you do to develop that extra um, loss of body fat um it has a cost, as we, as, you know, the, as you said, the locomotion, the reproduction, the, you know, the, the the different functions that the body has to sort of allocate resources to, and if it gets too much in one area, it takes from another. That's one of the things that's happening with people who are going overboard trying to get the, you know, the the, the cover of Shape magazine yeah. body or the or the eight pack abs or whatever. Uh, some people just aren't genetically pre wired or predisposed. To achieving that without a ton of work and a ton of potential cost to to the rest to their health, mm-hmm. um, so not everybody uh, is going to be well served by by going through life with a eight percent body fat, for instance. Well, with the bigger picture of where fitness comes in with your longevity goals, we now know on the cardiovascular side. Oh my gosh, the the, the bar is so freaking low. That it's a joke. I mean, all the all the race businesses would be out of out of business if we knew. Uh, Dr. James O'Keefe, one of the leaders here, saying that you know a couple hours a week of cardio exercise at the right heart rate is sufficient to get you guess an, an A plus sco- score. An in, A plus uh, score, and by the way, extra extra credit drops your score down. Right. So, you know, the more curve. the more that you do um, after a certain point of uh, you know, there's a point <clears> of diminishing <throat> returns, and then it falls off and they become negative returns. So, uh, and I felt that for a long, a long way, uh, a yeah. long time, um, which is why I don't, I haven't run very much in the last, uh, yeah. you know, 20 years. I uh, certainly haven't worked out exercise cardiovascularly uh, on, a, on a semi-regular basis, like twice a week maybe is what mm-hmm. I do now, maybe, maybe three times. Um, and all of it's sort of, again, contemplated to be doing other things. Like when, I, when I'm paddling, yeah, it's a bit of a cardio workout, but I'm doing mostly upper body. Yeah, so it's a bit of a cardio workout, um, but it's still mostly upper body. It's a great core workout, and that's why I do it. Um, 
you know, riding the bike. I do it for my legs. I happen to get cardio in the process of riding the bike, but I'm doing it for my quads and my butt and my, you know, lower body um, primarily, especially when we're going in the sand and doing that hard stuff. <laughs> well, uh, everything's a bit of a cardio workout is a new insight that's come up yeah. and kind of uh, negating the importance of going to the gym for the express purpose of working out your heart and lungs while doing something uh, you know, rudimentary, like and boring the stairs, yeah. boring. Yeah. Yeah. And, and possibly, uh, risking overuse patterns with the case of uh, jogging and right. high impact chronic, cardio. chronic repetitive motion stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're, it's, it's absolutely true. Everything we do, uh, that, that takes effort. It takes, uh, increased amounts of energy, uh, calls the cardiovascular system into play, calls upon it to supply oxygen for the heart to beat faster and do all these things. So we really, I think don't have to think that much about doing uh, actual cardio stuff, which is once again, why the other day I just decided, um, uh, you know, my two sort of hard days in a row was like, it's too much for my heart. Like I don't need to work my heart out. Yeah. You know, I got to figure out a way to work the rest of my body out and give my heart, almost give my heart a rest, especially if I'm thinking in terms of longevity. Mm -hmm. Um, And it it does call into question the, prevailing goals of the endurance community here. And I, I like to uh, make the wise crack that we'd all be better off if the distances were halved so that the marathon mm-hmm. was 13.1 miles instead of 26. Who yeah. said 26? That was some Greek messenger. Spirit on yeah. loose or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, the Ironman yeah. was three random events put together. That, right. You know, right. Just because A barroom bet. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, but we're, we're still seeing these overtraining patterns that are incredibly common and even in the in the casual enthusiast putting all that time into climbing the stairs when if you look at what's going on let's say when they're going and trying to build muscle mass and going through the stations with these long breaks in between the heart's still probably double resting heart rate when you're in between a set and talking to somebody Mm -hmm. and then you're going back and putting out more work to build muscle mass yeah so it, it could it could transition the goals into something that's more broad than needing to pound this heart every single day. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, I just read uh, a little piece about the Tarahumara Indians in the Copper Canyon who are featured in Born to Run. Uh, and and it turns out they don't really train for these 50-mile races that they do. Um, in fact, they're supposed to not train and then do these races based on their lifestyle and just mm. based on how they live and based on, uh, like, it's almost like, I guess, cheating to train because it's more of a, a spiritual experience. Huh as part of this race. Um, so, you know, I, I, as I like to tell people, I train for life now, so I mm-hmm. don't need to train for a 10 K. I'm not going to enter a 10 K. Um, but I train to be competent in as many sports as I, as I can be without getting injured. And along the way, I achieve some level of cardiovascular fitness as a result of the work that I do, even though I'm not dedicating the, you know, any of these specific workouts to just doing cardio. So the next uh, component would be, let's say, muscle mass and how that correlates to longevity uh, extremely well and incredibly important. Uh, So I suppose there's a point where you're beyond your maximum functional muscle mass if you're a big gym rat that's obviously carrying around way more than is necessary for anything but hoisting the heavy weights. But where's that balance point at all age groups? Well, yeah, I mean... The balance point, I don't know, some of it has to do with um, your uh, famili- familial genetics, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what did I inherit? A body type, 
uh, mesomorph, ectomorph, menomorph from my parents. Um, but, but really, the, the issue as we get older is uh, one of what we call sarcopenia, loss of muscle mass. So people suffer as they age, and, and the, the biggest indicator of, of, um, of senility and, and, uh, and aging is the loss of muscle mass. So it behooves everyone to do whatever they can to build and maintain muscle mass for as long as they can. To your point, you know, up to a, up to a point, you know, it becomes ridiculous if you're doing massive amounts of steroids and lifting heavy weights and, and you've got this huge bulky figure. But if you are someone who is interested in, in living uh, a quality long life, we absolutely have to talk about mobility. Like what, what defines a quality of life? Two things in my mind. A cognition, memory, access to memories, and being able to carry on a conversation, right. appreciate the world. Uh, and so, you know, dementia and Alzheimer's are a big issue there. And mobility, the ability to move throughout the world and enjoy interacting with nature and moving from place to place and being able to get out of bed in the morning and go do things and perform tasks and meet with people uh, and play games if that's, if that's your thing. So uh, mobility becomes crucial to the quality of life. And what happens to people as they get older is they tend to focus less on mobility. So they're sitting more, um, maybe they have more aches and pains. This kind of is a, is a, um, a, a positive feedback cycle that says the more aches and pains I have, the less I'm going to work out, the less I'm going to work out, the more aches and pains I'm going to have. So you got to get people out of the chair, out of bed and working out in the gym. Why is that? Well, the, the, the entire body works on this sort of um, synchronistic system whereby uh, we make a decision to move. And in making a decision to move and to use our muscles and to stress those muscles a, li- a little bit and perform an activity, the muscle, which now needs access to uh, blood flow and oxygen and nutrients, the muscle s- sort of, there's a, there's a system whereby the heart starts to pump more because it has to supply the nutrients to this muscle to, to, um, you know, to, to perform the task. Uh, the lungs have to inspire more. They have to, you have to breathe in more to provide the oxygen also to allow the muscle to work. The liver has to be more uh, functioning to be able to, to clear toxins and clear waste. Uh, the kidneys, same thing, have to clear waste. Uh, and it goes on and on so that every organ in our body is attached to um, some amount of muscle activity, mm. right? And in the case of um, sarcopenia, when you lose muscle, uh, the body is going, well, let's see, uh, you know, th- there's, we're not doing that much. We're not getting out of the sofa. So we don't need to spend precious, resourcing, precious resources building bone density, right? Because mm. there's no, I'm not, I'm not stressing the structure yeah. at all. So bone density suffers. Um, there's no reason for the heart to pump vigorously because we're not doing any activity. So the heart, the function of the heart diminishes and you lose capacity in the heart. Uh, Same with the lungs. The lungs don't have to breathe in because you're just, you know, you're taking in small breaths all day. You're not doing much activity. The muscles are, are atrophying and in so doing that they're not requiring the input of all these other systems, all these other organs. And so over time, uh, the, it isn't just that we lose muscle mass, but we lose what we call organ reserve. We lose the ability of the rest of our organs to keep up with us. And in the event that there's some catastrophe, like um, an infection, 
Um, now we have, we, we're, we're not able to combat the infection. So when we're looking at COVID this year, for instance, there are a lot of people who have, um, you know, heart issues, uh, uh, who have lung issues, uh, COPD and, and lung issues have been a big thing with COVID. And this is a disease that sort of attaches itself to, it likes lung tissue and, and tries to mess with it, right? And if you don't have the, the capacity mm. to withstand it, you will succumb, you will die. Um, as people get older, you know, this is sort of the, the thing I've talked about many times in the past, but as you lose muscle mass, as you lose organ reserve, and as these things start to fall apart, um, the classic scenario is, and my, my aunt, my 90-year-old aunt, just this just happened to her. You get up in the middle of the night to go to the mm. bathroom. You know, you trip over something you, because you, you haven't worked on balance. You mm. can't catch yourself because you're not strong enough to catch yourself. You can't even, you know, you put your arms out, but it doesn't work. And you fall and you break a hip because your bone density is so bad. Your bones are so brittle because you haven't worked on the bone density. You haven't given the bones a reason to maintain the tensile structure. So you wind up in the hospital with a fractured hip. Now you're in the hospital lying in bed. And, you know, we know that a lot of infections happen in the hospital. Now you get, maybe you get pneumonia. And maybe because your lungs are not strong, because you haven't used them for decades, you haven't, you haven't done any of this muscle uh, building activity to create this lean mass. The lungs have had no reason to really work more than 10 or 15%. But now all of a sudden you're in the hospital, you've got pneumonia, you can't cough out the sputum. Now your heart, which has to kind of keep up and pump oxygen to the rest of your body. So your blood oxygen, your pulse ox, as they call it, diminishes because you can't, you can, you can, not only can you not breathe in full amounts of air, but you can't, your heart's not pumping forcefully enough to get it to the other tissue. And so some people die of pneumonia, some people die of congestive heart failure, ultimately because they didn't work out in the gym, <laughs> ultimately because they lost muscle mass, and ultimately because, because the muscle mass is tied to this organ reserve, as your muscle mass di diminishes and as you, as you get to this condition known as sarcopenia, mm -hmm. all the organ reserve kind of goes down, down the tubes with it. So nobody really dies of old age, we die of organ failure as a result of the weakest link in our, in our bodies finally giving up the ghost. Yeah, I mean, the, the actual uh, functional capacity of the organs is known to be around 120 years. Yep. And so if we, you know, if we fought this battle better, and I'm, I'm scared straight right now listening to you, man. I, I don't want to go through that pain and suffering. And my, my, your buddy Walter, my dad, was such a great example, and he, he kept it going so strong into his mid-90s and then had a really quick and painless two-year demise. Yep. And I feel like his motivation and his physical capacity declined at the same rate. So yes. we'd, we'd get him out and walk around the park every day for a half a mile when he was 90, 91, 92, 93, yep. 94. And then he started to kind of balk at it. Well, I'm not going to go the whole way. I'll wait here on this bench. Well, come on, let's just, let's just go to the next yeah. bench. And it was really a beautiful thing to see because at a certain point, we all deserve to kick back. And if you don't feel like walking a half yeah. mile around the park when you're 95, it's going to contribute to your demise, but you're 95, so it's okay. And you're complicit. You're, 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 you're you know, complicit. It's, you're in control. You're in control of it. Yeah. 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 Um, but falling and, and coming to, you know, this, this misfortune that's, it's just, it's just so tragic to see. Yeah. Um, that part. It seems like we can do a much better job, and maybe it maybe people feel like it's too daunting 
because of the fitness programming and the, the industry? Maybe, but, uh, but I'll give it, you know, here's my other example. So I got COVID this year, right? I got it two months ago. He looks okay to me. And uh, it, was, it was a non-event for me. You mm-hmm. know, it was, like, it was like a summer cold, lasted three days, two and a half days, um, never a fever. Um, and, and I tell people, I've been training my whole life for mm-hmm. COVID. So I was trained for COVID. And I hear stories about, you know, there are, look, there are, people have um, horrible experiences with it. And, and I empathize with people who've lost loved ones or still struggling with it. But in, but in my case, I mean, I feel like I've been training my whole life. I've maintained all of these systems, including my immune system including my gut health. And I think so much of our immune system is resident in our gut. Uh, so I pay a lot of attention to that. Um, and, I've, and I feel like that's really the issue going forward with, with whether it's this pandemic or whether it's the next one that's going to be around the block. This isn't about um, vaccines and masks and social distancing as much as it's about building up a healthy immune system to be able to combat this in a way that we are all designed to do. Mm-hmm. It's just that some of us have lost the ability. Well, heck, we used to go to basketball games and, and yell and scream with 17,000 other people. I remember when the, the Lakers and Showtime were, were in their peak, you'd be hugging strangers after Magic came down and you know yeah. uh, threw a pass to win the game. And somehow we were able to you know, withstand yeah. all, the, all the stuff that's on every door handle all winter long. So I don't, want to, I don't want to make light of this, but I do want to say that, that you know, my, my view of longevity has much more to do with muscle mass. So with, your, with, with Walter, mm-hmm. with your dad, I would have said, let's get him, uh, you know, standing next to a lamppost and do 20, uh, uh, you know, deep squ- squats, you know, right. air squats as, as far down as he can get without getting too far down, maybe having somebody spot him and build the muscle mass, build the glutes, build the hamstrings, build the, the quads and do it you know, do it that way. I mean, getting out in fresh air is certainly, and that's part of the movement aspect of what we're talking about, moving around a lot. But it, it's also it's also maintaining, building and maintaining muscle mass yeah. is crucial. Yeah. Um, and again, it seems like a shortcoming in general because the you go to the gym and the, the, the machines are all full for cardio. Yeah. And then the, the, especially the free weights are sitting there. I think there's an intimidation factor. So for me, it's kind of exciting to see this this trend, uh, this pop, increasing popularity of micro workouts, yeah. thanks thanks to you and I and others. Yeah. But I, I feel like it's the fitness breakthrough of the century to, to have a, a new mindset to realize that you don't have to be a, a crazy muscle head and, and go in and lift all these heavy things for an hour or for two an at a time yeah. and get tired. And a lot of people have had yeah. probably a bad experience with a trainer yeah. where they went for their package. They did 12 sessions. They were sore. We now know from the leading experts in fitness that you shouldn't get sore and you don't want to get sore during workout. Yeah. What? Yeah. And uh, now you can kind of reposition this to even a home-based situation, since we are uh, obligated in, in recent times to yeah. be stuck at home, where you can become not just fit, but super fit and extremely good with your muscle mass quotient. I mean, I, I just have to laugh at how little strength training I do mm-hmm. now. The, my, my sessions that used to be an hour and 10 minutes are like 17 minutes now, yeah. even in the gym. And if I don't go to the gym... I'll do these micro workouts, these, you know, sets of push-ups here or squats there. Um, I do, I have uh, resistance bands that I use, you know, take a break. Um, and I feel like that really, it, and, and the science is now showing um, smaller, shorter amounts of, of more intense bursts of output mm. 
um, are very beneficial. So uh, the most recent one was like four seconds of all out um, sprinting on an Airdyne, uh, you know, bike on a on an ergometer um, has pretty profound uh, impact on on uh, muscle strength, uh, on mitochondrial function, uh, even on cardiovascular output. So it's pretty pretty interesting that it's like almost like getting to the point where less is more, provided you know you ha- you hold the intensity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, let, let me check my notes. It seems like it's all about moving frequently at a slow pace, lifting heavy things, and sprinting once in a while. That's a to novel get to concept. That, to yeah. get to that finish line. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about the sprinting specifically and that, those, those bursts of output? And we're talking about a hormonal uh, response that's drastically yeah. superior to the chronic overproduction of stress hormones with the chronic cardio. I mean, sprinting is still my favorite activity. Um, you know, it's not easy to do and it's, and it takes kind of a mindset and I can only do it once a week. And usually I do it, uh, in concert with like playing ultimate frisbee. Mm-hmm. So when, when, when I'm playing ultimate, I'm, you know, I'm forced to sprint to, to get down to the other end of the field. But if I have a week off or two weeks off, I, the other day I went to our park down here and I did, uh, you know, eight, uh, 60 meter sprints mm-hmm. with a two minute rest in between. So under 10 seconds of effort. Yeah. With a huge rest afterwards. Yeah. 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 And, um, and it was really, you know, it's, it's, I felt like I'd done something at the end of that workout. And I remember when we, we, we trained for track and field and we trained for these long distance events. And I remember going doing, like I did 16 half mile repeats <laughs> one time at 224 to 228. With short rest. With a walk, with a walk jog yeah. in between. Um, and that, that took, you know, and, and that workout took an hour and it was, I was hammering the whole time. And now I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm refreshed from this workout. Yeah. I feel like I benefited from this short, this short workout. And I'm really looking back and I'm like, well, all I was doing was, was sort of practicing hurting myself, <laughs> you know, practicing the discomfort mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and grinding it out uh, as, as to replicating what I was going to feel during a marathon when I was running a marathon. But I don't know how much it really impacted my, you know, my, 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 ratcheting up of my training and my performance yeah well you said a few years ago i guess it was a a delayed uh, epiphany that we don't really need to train the brain to suffer yeah of what we're going to face in in a marathon race or whatever the goal is the ultra or whatever we're training for the brain can do it on demand and i i make the analogy of you know if if i put a gun to your head right now mutual we could go do a marathon yeah we wouldn't uh come out of it too well, no. but we could we could make the, it happen. Yeah. The idea that you have to suffer over and over and over mm-hmm. to uh, excel in something yeah. is is ridiculous. And right. then uh, Dr. Phil Maffetone put through through another piece that I, that I put together here. That's um, you don't really need to train the anaerobic muscle fibers at a huge extent because they're not using oxygen. They right. they're explosive. They fire. Uh, they need a lot of recovery. Yeah. So you're taking these. Sprints that last, you know, six, seven, eight seconds Mm -hmm. and resting two minutes in between, it's not super uh, uh, grueling. Right. It doesn't kill you. You're not staggering off the the thing. You're feeling kind of light on your feet. And I think that's a big breakthrough is just to rest more. Just to rest more. And and again, it's, you know, it's, uh, I'm doing these as a component part of my training to be able to play Frisbee better, for instance. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm not doing these for the sake of doing these. This is not an event that I'm doing. Yeah. So I can take two minutes. I can recover fully between right. and, and I can clear all the lactate. In the old days, I would have said, 
it's it's like when you go to the the pool, you know, and you're swimming, you know, hundreds on the on the on the what on the minute thirty or minute forty or whatever minute and five and whatever. But I mean, whatever you finished in, you you went immediately on the right. one twenty. So if you did this, if you did the the lap slower, you got yeah. less rest. If you did it faster, it hurt more, but you yeah. only got a few few seconds yeah. more rest because you always had to go on the click on yeah. the one twenty or whatever, right? Send off, yeah, the send off, and it's like. You know that had an application, but that's brutal. That was just, yeah. you know, that was a. Um, it's it's for competitive preparation only. Yeah, and there's no health uh, benefit to a, a, a exhausting, depleting workout. Right. Particularly right. the the glycogen depleting aspects of an interval workout. And hit is the the, the greatest trend, and yeah. it's been the hot term in fitness for so long. I love how Dr. Craig Marker repositioned that with a great article called Hit Versus Hurt. Yeah. Hurt meaning high intensity repeat training. Yeah. So when you did your eight, how many did you do? The eight sprints? Uh, the other day, yeah. Eight yeah, sprints. So yeah. So your seventh and eighth one, yeah. I was watching from the balcony above, mm-hmm. they were of similar quality to yeah, the first, first one, one yeah. because yeah. you were rested, maybe yeah. even warmed up and even did, better. Didn't, uh, they were better. Uh, yeah. didn't, didn't lose form. Yeah. yeah. And, yep. and your 16th half mile oh repeat, you were uh, walking dead and, and digging so yeah. deep. I know yeah. you're hitting the right time. That's an yeah. important distinction to make. Like yeah. you're still hitting your time on the 16th one, but losing but it's form. coming at a, a, a cost of months of, you know, recovery yeah. Yeah. and destroying your, your will and your brain to go do it when it really can. No, I mean, I, that, I, I'll never forget that workout. And I think it probably left a good race somewhere in the next two, six weeks. There would, there would have been a much better race that I had sure. done, except they left it on the track. Yeah. I put it all out there. Yeah. So, all right, let's move on from these workout things. What what, do we got? Uh, what about the, um, the, the nice way that we broke up our day with that, that cold plunge, uh, uh at your at your amazing facility, yeah, and cold exposures turned into one of the popular biohacking uh, maneuvers of of the time. It's getting some good research behind it, and people are extolling the benefits. Uh, what what do you think? Where does that? So fit what? Here's what I think. I think um, I like I love hot water, so I love saunas and jacuzzis and and steams. Um, I I don't like cold water <laughs> at all, so I do it. So, so I, so I don't, even though there are all the uh, anti-inflammatory benefits that are touted for uh, cold water uh, and cold therapy and cryotherapy, um, I do it for my mind. Mm. So I literally, like I, you know, today I did whatever, four and a half minutes Mm -hmm. at 48 degrees Mm -hmm. and um, it's just a mind game, right? And then I get out and warm up and, and go back. So I, 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 I'm a fan. I do it a lot and I, but I do it mostly for the for the mental uh, meditative aspect of it and not so much because I, I, I'm feeling any sort of anti-inflammatory benefits. That's just my, yeah. my personal preference. Um, well, I mean, you, you get a wonderful uh, wake-up call and, yep. and an increase in alertness and mood-elevating hormones. We no, know we, that. the yeah. rest of the day was great. It was like, you know, because I usually do this at 6 at night, um, mm-hmm. between 6 and 6.30 or 6.35 is my routine, and then I come back and have, you know, I play drums for an hour and then I have dinner. Um, and then I sleep like a baby, but today we did it before lunch. And so mm. the rest of the day was very calm and relaxed and we didn't have anything to do except this. Um, so it was kind of a, it was nice to have it be in the, in the earlier part of the day for me. Uh, I agree. The psychological benefits seem to be the most profound. And every, every time I, uh, I'm, I'm about to jump in my chest freezer, I tell a story in my head 
Like, uh, maybe I'll sweep the kitchen floor first. It's looking kind of, I better answer those emails first. And it's always this battle of, you know, trying to make an excuse and procrastinate and all those things that we complain about in daily life, in our work life, our, our, our goals with parenting relationships, personal improvement. And so if I can be one of those people that can override the chatter and do something. Tony Robbins, huge yeah. fan. He says, it's my brain telling my body what to do yeah. to not hesitate, but to act. Yeah. And so if we can leverage that, if I can right. leverage that into other disciplining stuff, other my tasks. email yep. inbox, exactly. um, that's a big thing. Right. And um, I invite everybody to, to dabble in this yeah. for the physical benefits you know, my, as well as the, you know, the, the, the increased appreciation of that sauna. <laughs> when we went in there, I guarantee you, of all the people that use the sauna today in Miami, Florida, mind you, we appreciated it more than anybody because yeah. we just got out of cold water. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it's it's um, it's a very um, uh, you know, it, it, I didn't like cold water for the longest time, and so for me, it was it was I needed to overcome that, mm. right? And poor in order, Maine, in order, to, poor Maine boy, I know, like cold water. Uh, in order to overcome that, I had to come up with sort of a a device that I would use. Mm. Um, and my device was, it's not good or bad, it's just a sensation. Right, yeah. So when I walk in, it's not good or bad. Whatever I'm feeling isn't, I don't assign a positive or, or a negative value to it. It's just a sensation. And that's kind of how I start the, start I love the it. process. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to do the same thing. Like, don't don't judge it. Yeah. And um, one of my favorite podcast guests, my buddy Dave Rossi, he, he kind of wants you to, apply that to all areas of life for sure like here's a traffic jam uh i'm stuck in it i'm gonna miss my flight whatever don't judge it there may be a a silver lining or you know all those kind of things where we have to we we stay in the moment stay mindful and it's so difficult because we're um you know we're, we're trying to nitpick our way to an optimum life but in the process we can we can compromise happiness yeah miss out on some other opportunities yeah. Uh, speaking of that, since we're, we're, we're drifting now, um, do you see like a, a balance point between uh, not judging things and being okay and being, accept- being in acceptance and then turning on your, your kicking ass genes to say, hey, you're screwing me over in this business relationship and I'm going to sue your ass unless you make it straight. You know what I mean? Like diverging from, hey... Mark's a spiritual go with the flow kind of guy, uh, but he also has climbed a competitive ladder setting. Yeah, and you no, know. I get it. I get it. I I think that comes under the heading of you know just choose your battles, ah. choose your battles wisely, yeah. and it also comes under the heading of of absolutely have goals mm-hmm. and absolutely do what you need to to work toward those goals, but but release attachment to the outcome. And it's so easy when I've uh, yeah, just try it, people. When, and when I when I've done that, which, you know, I've uh, I've pivoted a lot in my in my career. Um, when I've done that, some of the magic has really happened. Mm. So when I've released attachment to the outcome of like, I mean, look, uh, Primal Kitchen started because I was really frustrated with my supplement mm-hmm. business. And I kept thinking, I've. I've got to find the answer to the supplement thing. I've got to find the answer to selling more supplements and attracting more people and, and, and letting people know I have this amazing product. And, and I, I was missing the big picture, which was that I talk about food all the time and I talk about, you know, real food. And what is it that makes real food palatable? It's what we put, put on them. Sauces, dressings, toppings, methods of preparation, herbs and spices and things like that. So it was when I released attachment to the outcome of my supplement company mm. succeeding mm. that I was able to pivot and go, oh my God, this is a much, this is, this, 
bigger, better opportunity has been sitting in front of me for at least 10 years, and I've ignored it. Yeah, yeah. So, you know. Um, and you talk about the, the restaurant venture, which was uh, not successful, and you hung in there because you... You don't like to lose, yeah. But it was it was um, attached attachment to the outcome. Same thing, yeah, yeah. Same thing. Well, you know, an attachment to the outcome also involves um, not abandoning. It's like you know when when many of our friends would get into a a, a marathon or an Ironman yeah. and not be having their best day, yeah, and probably should have dropped out. Yeah, no attachment to the outcome. Yeah, but they decided to hang in there because they felt that it was going to do them better psychologically to get through it. Yeah. And so part of that was my mindset in the restaurant thing was I didn't want to give up too soon. I didn't want, like maybe there was going to be a chance that I could mm-hmm. resurrect this. So, you know, it's, um, uh, it's definitely a fine line between, um, being, you know, sort of like, uh, Oh, the world is wonderful and I'll just put it out there and the law of attraction will make everything happen. <laughs> or if it doesn't happen, Oh, well, it wasn't meant to be versus, Having a goal, going toward that goal, being aware of all the opportunities or other things that are that are that are either uh, coming along or interfering, uh, obstacles or or possibilities, and and you know being attuned to it, mm-hmm. and then being able to make uh, an informed decision as to whether or not to pivot. So mm. I can't I can't give people a rule of thumb on that because everybody's different, and some some entrepreneurs are you know v- voracious, tenacious you know, uh, litigious and they get, and they get what they want. You know, I'm not, I try not to be that way, but I still try to get what I want. Yeah. Um, arguably, you know, the material success that we place so much emphasis on in in modern life, but it's no guarantee of happiness. It's no guarantee that uh, the person's not a jerk. And I think those things need to count for more, you know? Um, and I also see from, from your journey, like, you had this intense desire to make things right and to call out conventional wisdom that was killing people. Yeah. And you said, I want to uh, do a book. I'm going to do this, this blog. And it was hideously expensive with no sign of any uh, economic uh, benefit right. for quite some time, but you were compelled to do it. And yeah. so that's like the ultimate example of not being attached to the outcome. And, oh, guess what? A lot of people buy your mayonnaise now, yeah. but I think people... Um, if you if you make the mistake of segmenting the Mark Sisson path into uh, you know he, he hustled and, and put his picture on the mayonnaise and it sold a lot and, and now now it's great yeah um, that's not that's not how this this uh, wave was written yeah yeah, yeah. It's a forty year overnight success story <laughs> yeah. well that's been uh, a lot of fun and games here I think we've we've hit some hot topics cool thank you very much for listening watching people. If you're looking to bring the heat to game day snacks and party platters, or are looking to add a little feisty flavor to your sauce collection, Primal Kitchen's buffalo sauce brings just the right amount of heat. Keto certified, Whole30 approved, and paleo certified, this creamy sauce is made with high quality real food ingredients like cashew butter, avocado oil, cayenne sauce, and organic garlic powder. Primal Kitchen Buffalo is a medium heat sauce made without sugar and without xanthan gum, keeping the focus on delicious, real food flavor that adds a craveable kick to cauliflower bites or chicken wings. So use the code PRIMALBLUEPRINT to take 20% off your purchase at checkout.